Welcome to the Acting Notes Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things acting from tips and tricks to business information. I'm your host, Justin Powell, and today we're going to be talking about getting started in the business. So this is an episode for you newbies out there that are looking to get into acting, to follow your passion. If you are already an established actor, you might want to skip this one. This is mainly going to be an episode for people that are newer to acting, that are trying to understand the steps they need to take to start growing in this business. So, the reason I'm talking about this today is because I recently shot headshots for a friend of mine. I'm a headshot photographer as well, and she's fairly new to acting. She's been taking classes for about a year, year and a half now, but she had never had headshots taken before. And during the session, she asked me, what should I do with these next? What do I do next? And as I started to try to give her advice, I realized that I was just bombarding her with information. I was just word vomiting all of these tips. And so I thought it would be better and more constructive, one, for the conversation that her and I are going to have soon about this and also for this podcast, to just break this down a little bit. So, if you are just getting started in the business, if you've decided, I want to be an actor, that's what I want to do, I'm going to pursue acting, that's what I'm going to do. The first thing you should do is get in some acting classes. Now, maybe you've already been in some, and so this is a decision that has been long coming. Still get in classes. Find new classes, Find ones that challenge you, ones that open up aspects of yourself that maybe were dormant before, but make sure you are in classes because ultimately, even as you start building your career, you want to make sure you're getting better. Now, some people have the the joy of getting to practice their craft on a daily basis while getting paid to do so. For the rest of us, we do have to stay in classes. We got to keep the skill sharp. It's like building muscle, right? You know, I injured my back a couple years ago. And just before that time, I had really been putting in a lot of work at the gym. And when I hurt my back, I wasn't able to go anymore. So all of these lifts and personal records that I had built up over that time had come way further down. And that was depressing. But it's similar to acting, right? We have to make sure that we're still going to our gym, Now, that can be acting in classes. There can also be ways to work on acting at home, but I highly recommend being in classes. So that's the first thing. Make sure you are upping your skills as often as you can. And I know classes are expensive. At least one class, I think, is fantastic. If you can afford more and fit that into your schedule, great. As long as you're not burning yourself out, I think that's great. So the next thing you should do is get that most important of marketing tools for actors. Get your headshot. Your headshot is what is going to get you into the audition room in a lot of cases. Obviously, it's not the only thing, you know. They look at your resume. They look at clips. All of those things. Of course, of course, of course. But the first thing you really need to even start booking jobs is a headshot. So, go get headshots. Now, Oftentimes, people will have, or you see this a lot, at least, from newer actors. You know, I just cast a short film a little while back, 
And a lot of the submissions I got had headshots that were just not professional. You could tell they were done on an iPhone or on a friend's camera that wasn't particularly skilled at headshot photography. And it stands out. It made, I could tell just as a casting director, it made me feel less inclined to look at their profile to ask them to submit an audition. And that's frustrating, but that is the reality of this business, right? Now, you don't have to drop $1,000 on your first set of headshots, but there are great headshot photographers in Los Angeles. I don't know other markets quite as well, but I'm sure the price ranges are similar. That costs $200, $300 at the most for two or three looks. So save up some money and get yourself some professional headshots because that is what you're going to need to start submitting to jobs. Sorry, I'm so nervous about my cat right now. She's very antsy and I don't want her to do something super loud and mess with this audio too much. So I'm just keeping an eye on her and there's probably some more dramatic pauses than I mean there to be. So I apologize. Her name is Kafka. She's a little angel, but she also loves to disrupt my work. So, you got your headshots. You've been taking acting classes. The next thing you're going to do, you're going to start putting yourself onto submission sites. Create some profiles on Actors Access, casting networks. Early on in your career, when you're just starting out here, I think backstage isn't a bad option. There's a lot of student films on there, a lot of smaller jobs. Uh, ultimately, it starts to get to a point where it's not, I don't think it's great at a certain level. Um, but it's worth it when you're just starting out. Because ultimately, a lot of the first jobs you get are not going to be paid. They're going to be jobs that you take so that you can be on set so that you can network with other filmmakers and people interested in this industry. And so you can practice your craft. Because class is great, but class is also a controlled environment, right? So even if you're doing on-camera acting classes, it's a controlled environment. You have a teacher there, specifically that teacher has learned how to get the most out of a student when they're in front of the camera, right? Not every director is as versed with actors. Some are, you know, you've maybe heard of the term the actor's director, someone that's very capable of pulling out performances or emotions from their artists. But sometimes the director is just not even thinking about that. They're more concerned about the cinematography and how the story is being told with the other elements of the mise-en-scene as opposed to the actor's performance. And so then you're kind of on your own to shape and craft what you will. So that's why you want to be booking roles that you might not be paid for early on. Now, do your due diligence because oftentimes there are projects that don't pay that really should. If you're working 30 days on a non-union feature film, you should get paid for that. I wouldn't accept, even at an early stage when you're just looking for a, for footage and to work with people, I think that's taking advantage of the position you're in. Now, that's my opinion. All of this, in a lot of ways, is my opinion. I've read a lot of books on the business. I've started my career. I have friends that have started their career. So all of this is, you know, something that I think works. 
But I'm not saying, of course, that it is the, you know, follow these steps and you're DiCaprio tomorrow. Because that's not how this industry works. You know, growth and progress in it is not fully linear. Sometimes you'll book four amazing jobs in a month. And then you won't work for six months on something you really care about. So we don't want to view it in that linear path. We want to just make sure we're always growing, always getting better. So that when those opportunities come knocking, and they will, we're ready to step up to the plate. So you're working, you're doing student films, and make sure that while you're doing this, this is something I wish I had done earlier on in my career, network the hell out of any set you're on. You know, within reason. You know, if you happen to be doing background work on a big show, don't go talk to the main actors. That's not something you should do. But network with everyone else. Network with the person you check in with. Start to get to know people that are going to be in this industry because the more you network, something else you can start doing is start working towards that SAG eligibility. Now, to be SAG means that you're in the union. It means that you're more likely to get opportunities for bigger roles, network shows, and things of that sort. But it's also, if you take that plunge and spend the $3,000, you're also then competing against the best of the best. You can't do non-union work anymore either. So you don't want to jump into SAG too early. But it's good to start building up to a place where you can become SAG eligible. That's this beautiful land where you can you can get cast in union projects, but you can also continue working non-union projects. And as you're building your career, it's important to have those options available to be able to go do a union role and then jump back to a non-union. It's just more bites at the apple, right? I don't know why that's a saying. What does that mean? More bites at the apple. Was there like some village where there was just one apple and they all had to take bites out of it? I don't know. That's a weird saying. But you get more chances, right? You get more chances to book work and to continue building that resume and building your network of artists that you know. But something you can be doing early on in your career is looking into central casting and doing background work as an actor. When you do background work, you get paid you know, a decent amount for the day. It's not groundbreaking. But you get the opportunity to be on set, to watch professional actors doing their thing, to watch the production team doing their thing, to meet, a lot of times in background work, you meet other actors that are maybe at a similar stage in their career, looking to grow their career. And there's always an opportunity to get a SAG voucher. So that you need three of those to become SAG eligible. And once you do that, again, you're in that sweet spot. Now, something I will caution against, and I'm speaking a bit far more anecdotally than I have been before because I got my SAG voucher by booking a co-star role on a, on a show, on a SAG show. So I didn't have to do this background work option, but... I think I would have done it had I realized the potential of it earlier on in my career. 
That being said, I've talked to some casting directors that handle the background actors, some actors who did that work for a while, and something they commented on was how oftentimes when people are looking to get a SAG voucher, they start really kissing up to the the person that checked them in on set, and it just doesn't always come off well. Again, if, if you are just sucking up to a person because you want something from them, that's not a very great look, right? However, if you can just be friendly, actually find a common interest with them that you can talk about and joke about, I think that's a better way to go about it. And you're more likely to get a voucher, I believe, if you're making a genuine connection than if you're just, you know, being a bit of a sycophant. Um, so yeah, I think just try to make a genuine connection with the person you check in with in that background work and just recognize too that it's not something that is likely to happen on your first job. That you're not, you're definitely not going to get three vouchers on your first job. You're unlikely to get them on your first three. It's going to take a while. But it's a nice way to start attempting that, especially, again, early on as you're just building your resume. Now, don't put background work on your resume. It does not look professional. No one cares about background work. But it's something you can do to start building up. And the other great thing about it is oftentimes, you know, you're sitting and holding for a long time. So you can, again, network with people. You can bring an acting book or a play, something that you can keep working on throughout the day. You know, it's not a bad way to make a paycheck. So you have your headshots, you're on the breakdown sites, Actors Access, Casting Networks, uh, backstage when you're starting out here. You're doing student films. You're doing whatever work you can really get. And you're starting to build up your resume. So once you get your resume to a decent spot, maybe you've done, you know, six or seven student films. Not even necessarily student films. Six or seven projects. Maybe even like eight to ten. You've done classes at some different spots in town. Because it's always good to have separate classes, right? If you just do the same ongoing course for two years, then on your resume, you're just going to have that one class, right? It doesn't look like you're actually training that much, even though you are. So it's good to bounce around to try some different things and also just to make yourself a more versatile actor. You know, if you've done scene study for four months, maybe go do some audition technique. Once you're done with that, go do some improv. Maybe look into voiceover. Maybe you'll have a passion for that. But Give yourself the opportunity to explore your own instrument and also just see what other classes have to offer you. You know, I always, my methodology with classes is I'll go there and I'll stay until I start to feel too comfortable. Once I really start to feel comfortable, like I understand what they want, I'm performing well, I'm getting, you know, compliments or praise every time I go up, I'm not feeling challenged anymore. I know it's time to move on at that point. Because you always got to be looking for that uncomfortability to get better, right? Again, back to like weightlifting. You, once you realize that you can bench a certain amount, that's when you add another plate on. So that's what we're doing with those classes. But after you've done that, then I think it's okay to start looking for a manager or an agent. And while you're doing this, make sure... In fact, I think I skipped a step. Yeah, I certainly did. Something else that you could do before you go look for that manager or agent, brilliant podcast hosting by me, 
Uh, give me the Emmy. What you should do first is try to get footage back from the work you've done. Always see, and be sure to always check with the casting director or whoever, maybe the director if it's a student film, but always check with them before you even shoot, making sure you're going to get the copy if you can. A lot of times when you're not paid, that's what they'll promise you, credit, copy, and food. Uh, sometimes they'll reimburse some gas mileage as well. But always make sure you understand how you're going to get that copy so that you can use some clips from that work in your reel. You can put them up as clips on your different casting sites. I always think it's good to have both reel and clips up on these sites. There's a bit of a debate about should you have one or the other. I think it's good to have both. Some casting directors prefer just a straight-up reel. Others want clips that maybe match the role you're going out for. So... I recommend having both. And if you can't get good footage, because sometimes you do these student films and you're just not going to get the footage you thought you might get. You know, they're students. They're learning as well. So it just might not be what you want it to be. And so something else you can do and put up as a clip is a really badass self-tape. You know, find a scene, not something super well-known or popular, or even... Ask a friend who's a writer to write you something that you can then record as a self-tape and put on your profile just to show them that you know how to act. That's the thing. You're just showing them, yeah, I can act. And once you have that, once you have clips or a reel or this self-tape, then you can start looking for a manager and an agent. And I can go into a lot more detail about this in another episode because searching for a manager and an agent is a process in and of itself. But what I'll say for this is just make sure that you don't go with the first person that takes you. And I don't mean, you know, maybe you end up meeting the first person and they are a perfect match for you. But a lot of times when we're first looking for our agent or manager, and this happened to me, this has happened to plenty of friends I know, we're so eager to have that, to have a manager, to have an agent, that the first person that comes along, we just agree because it feels nice to be wanted. But did that person, are they really invested in us? That's the question I think you should have answered when you do your meetings with agents and managers is, will they be invested in you? Do they believe in you? Will they have your back? So take your time when you're searching for a manager or an agent. Do some research. See what their roster's like. If you happen to know anyone that has a manager or agent, ask them what the person's like. And then when you have that meeting, try to make sure it's someone that you feel comfortable working with, that you can have a conversation with and make sure you're on the same page in terms of your career. So those are, that's a little pathway that you can take if you want to be an actor or an actress. Now, is it, again, is this the one path that will get you where you want to go? No. No. There's always winding roads and different things to do. But these are the basics. These are the basic things that you have to do to make sure you're playing the game. Then, I'm trying to, like, fill this analogy, but I don't know if I have it as tight as I want, or the metaphor rather. 
if you do these things, you're going to have what you need to go out and book roles and keep working and then growing as an artist, both in your own skill with the craft as well as in your career. I hope this helped you. I thank you for listening to the Acting Notes podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to check us out on Instagram and TikTok at the Acting Notes. There's also a YouTube channel, the Acting Notes channel, which I'm trying to put more time into now. It's been that is definitely the most time-consuming process of each of these little entities. But I want to put more videos out there because I know the videos are a great way for people to uh, learn a lot too. If you enjoyed the podcast today, I would greatly appreciate if you could rate and leave a comment so that other people can find the podcast. It would make me feel very, very happy. I want this to be able to help as many people as I can. I want to be able to help this podcast grow because I really care about it. And I would appreciate it if you could do that. And if you'd like, in the comments, if you want to leave a request for an episode topic in the future or ask me a question, uh, I would be happy to answer those as well as I can. But once again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Justin Powell. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.